0: slash weight loss. The Squareball Podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to Podcast 129. My name's Dan Moylan. With me, Michael Normanson. Hello. Daniel Chapman's here as well. Moscow White. Hi. Michael, is your slightly solemn tone because we've got the playoff preview in a bit?
2: Yeah, and the
1: that other thing that happened this weekend. We don't talk about that. First of all, the 10th and final issue of the Square Ball for this season was out for the Villa game. With the last couple of hundred on sale at the playoff game versus Frank Lampard's Derby County. What a thrill that's going to be. You can read that and look back over 10 years of issues if you get yourself a digital subscription. It's great value, 12 quid for the year, pound a month. All subscribers can read all the magazine articles on the website, so you can choose to read them either in web layout or how they appeared first time in the magazine. You can find all that at thesquareball.net. Right, we'll muster up heroes and villains for you in just a little while. 1st let's run the rule over our final regular season game from Portman Road. And what a thrilling way to finish the season. How was
3: that for you? Mm. I assume the good people of Ipswich uh, awoke the next morning to find all their possessions as they left them. Perhaps even tidier. Did any tidying up go on like a reverse Bournemouth? It was so far away from what anybody wanted from the last game of the season. I can only imagine Leeds fans behaved in exactly the opposite manner. The only positive to take
2: from this game was that we didn't do this in a game where we needed to win because we would have still done this. If on the last day you can imagine watching it, the results were all going for us. We just need the win. We've got a penalty. They're down to 10 men. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, actually, a point will do. A point's fine. i mean, celebrating in the stands. You tweeted this during the match, didn't you, actually?
1: And it's funny that because I had exactly the same thought that it would not have altered the outcome no matter what was at
2: stake. Same would have happened. The other outcome, though... That would have happened had it mattered is that Ipswich would have been ablaze and we'd have had to be saying sorry across the town hall and probably facing it. Games played behind closed doors, £800,000 fine. So actually, it was not a bad day. Well, shall we run through the low lights and the even lower lights? We might as well. It was almost funny. It was that horrendous. It had to me a feel of the Wigan game about it where we just thought we'd turn up and win because it's like, oh, the shit. We've seen the table, we've seen
3: their form. They're hopeless. And they were hopeless the first half an hour until they scored. I was sitting back saying, right, we're going to put loads of goals past these Because the only time they seemed to get the ball was when we gave it to them. Unfortunately, we started just giving it to them more and more often in stupider areas. But they looked really as bad as had been advertised in the opening stages. But then it was that pass. It's all down to that pass that then put uh, Kiko... I want to say under pressure, but he wasn't really under pressure until he was about fifty miles from his goal, and then I think a certain amount of pressure landed upon his head. Do you think maybe the language barrier got in the way
1: there? Because you've got one of them that speak in English, that's speaking English—that's Kiko—and then Ailing's just squeaking at him in a high-pitched noise.
2: Is that was that at the root of it? Would you would you um, consider putting Bailey Peacock Farrell back in?
3: Well, he didn't used to rush off his line quite as often as uh, as Kiko Casilla. The third goal is a is a separate thing. Him running out to uh, to give away the free kick for the first one was still unnecessarily daring. That's the one thing you could never say about Bailey Peacock Farrell. he said I've put the joke there about ailing in the wrong place, haven't I? Yeah. Do you want to do
1: it again? No, no, it's absolutely fine. I can't be bothered to go and <laughs> crack on. The thing
3: on. with uh, Bailey Peacock Farrells, he didn't take any unnecessary risks. If that was including like the potential injury to his Ooh. fingers by saving the ball, you've changed not much. <laughs> um, whereas Kiko does seem to love just not being in his six yard box. Do you think you might start making a video compilation of Kiko Kasia's errors? No, because he's doing it in plain sight, whereas Bailey was trying to hide his shame, but Bootham Crescent behind a a wall of Kit Kats that he'd constructed... (laughs) Kiko, if there was a wall of Kit Kats in front of Kiko, he would just run straight through. To Kiko, destroy Kit Kats. That would be what he was thinking. Kiko, destroy anything in front of him. That seems to be his his way of going about it.
2: I thought for a brief second he was going to be sent off for this as well. Yeah, There was a the defender covering, but it was. it's worth saying that he didn't realise there was a defender covering. He would have done this <laughs> anyway. He was not thinking, oh, well, at least if I get caught out, there's someone behind the back he was lucky that there was someone running in behind him. He's, he's got the madness, hasn't he? He's got the yeah. keeper madness.
3: I think that's part of the worry with that as well, is that he had seen the danger, but he hadn't seen the solutions. He just thought, oh, player coming towards goal, I'll just run at him. I mean, I don't think he actually touches him. No, but it was the, the slide and the yeah. the um, avoiding. But the fact that other defenders were around, there was really no reason for him to come out, I think. Um, was it Jansen was coming over and was just going to shepherd him into the corner, it would have been all right. And even taking account, we look at, Maybe the rest of the team wasn't taking the game at quite the intensity as they might have because it's the last game of the season and Ipswich are really poor and uh, there's nothing at stake. We could just turn up and win. You needed that from Kiko in that situation because a red card, he would have been out for how many games? One, two, three? We could have lost him for all the playoffs. I don't know what the rules are. They would have found a way.
2: The tone was set by the Ipswich commentators on this because I think you had the same stream, Moscow, and they were just sounded... Broken and like they wanted the season to be over from the from the off. And they even said things like, This'll be the first season we've not scored three goals at home ever. And it's very unlikely to happen today. Hang on a minute. <laughs> and that was obviously a few minutes in. And then by the end when, when the penalty was given, he said, Could things get any worse? Just blow the final whistle and put us all out of our misery. Little did they know they were about to get a memorable home win out of
3: this. They did sound broken from the start when they were reading out the uh, score updates from Norwich's game when Norwich were going for the championship. And uh, that seemed to be like their main preoccupation. Oh no, Pookie scored again. It hadn't occurred to me that Ipswich were coming absolutely rock bottom at the same time as Norwich are absolutely plum top. So I think our pain finishing third is possibly minimal compared to Ipswich Towns. But that's irrelevant because this, this hurt me more. The
2: commentators did also mention uh, the eventual match winner being alone from Huddersfield United as well. Did you notice that? Our big rivals, apparently, which was also news to me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> With the equaliser was good. I really, really liked Cleek's goal. I thought Ayling's touchback on the long pass from Forshaw had a, a certain just delicacy to it. He really put a lot of spin on it, like gentle. You could have, because it was so tight trying to keep it in, you wouldn't expect control in that situation. Beautiful ball back and click. I think he was something like his third attempt. Managed to get this one. He didn't go for three points or whatever you get in rugby now for putting it over the the bar. I haven't watched a rugby game for a long time. What do you get? 20 points? A touchdown? I don't know. It went in the goal anyway, and that was helpful. And two minutes later, um, it was in the same goal, but for (laughs) Ipswich.
1: Thing is as well, didn't it have echoes of Wigan with the whole, all right, okay, click scored now, normal service resumed, off we go again. Should have had.
2: We had so many chances to win this game. There was a bit as well where Clark cut in from the left and had a shot, which the keeper was pretty much straight at the keeper. But then it came back to Pablo, who just had to tap it into what was more or less an empty net, and he kicked it straight back at the goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> then obviously the penalty is just one of those that you do get these sometimes, don't you? When you know the ground is mush beneath the spot and the player because mm-hmm. he managed to kick it with both feet, didn't he? Because I know it's the goalkeeper restarted it from the the game from the penalty spot kicking it against his own leg that's quite an achievement
3: mm, <laughs> a goal is possibly a better achievement in those circumstances it's bizarre how awful that penalty was and it did seem to sum up everything and the weird repeat of Wigan as well then being a man down and us having a chance just pull this away settle the game down 3-2 to Leeds play out the last few minutes and instead um, it's Roof sitting flat on his ass while the ball goes sailing in- into the away fans I think here you go. Thanks for coming all this way. Do you want the ball up there as well? Um, nobody wanted the ball up there. want the ball in the net. I agree with the sentiment of your
1: tweet, Moscow. Backed up by a video compilation seems to be your speciality, the thing that you do best. This one a lot more positive though. Click on pens. Every pen that you posted in that video, he scored and he scored well all over the different parts of the net.
3: A memory from last season, his penalty against Burnley in the shootout, which was ultra confident, reminded me at the time of what I'd seen of him playing for 20. I watched him play for them as a number 10, as he suddenly uh, started playing for us now against Ajax. And he scored basically the same penalty against them. And yeah, it was in the back of my mind that he's good at penalties. And watching Roof do that, I sort of slightly snapped. And was just like, look, look, here is somebody who can take the penalties and score them all. Radio Leeds afterwards were talking about potential penalty takers and they were going down as far as, like, Calvin Phillips. I mean, in a shootout, we'll probably get down to him, but I don't know if anybody's ever seen him take a penalty in his entire life. Whereas we've seen this season, we've seen Bamford, we've seen Hernandez, we've seen Roof. we not seen Click, so let him. And he liked that tweet as well. So I don't know if that was more a kind of um, thanks for the attention or if it was, yeah, fucking get Pablo Telt. I think that's the one good thing from this game is that now we're going into the playoffs we won't have the opportunity to miss another penalty against a team at the bottom of the table who has 10 players like that can't repeat again we've done it twice lightning is not going to strike 3 times in that situation <laughs> well we'll be more likely to be taking on 12 players against derby a a football league being corrupt and all that lampard's family values etc do we take anything from this game at all the goals the other goal as well, we talked about click score being good. The, um, the move for our second goal. Patient, when, when
2: Dallas punched it into the net.
3: When Dallas punched it into the net. When, um, patient build up and then it's the move, it's the goal we've seen rehearsed over and over again of Ailing going around the fullback, getting to the byline. Hernandez, beautiful chip to land it on his foot and, um, Ailing again with a, a good cross first time, volleyed it across. Roof, can you blame fitness for heading the ball off the bar or is it just luck from that? I suppose you're just directing it at the goal and it's kind of 50-50. Yeah, that, when you're that it? close, it's kind of just bouncing off you, isn't it? Yeah, and then mm. uh, Stuart Dallas making up for... Because Dallas was kind of to blame for their second goal being caught all the way upfield and not able to get back because he's not superhuman fit like alioski is. But it is a, a symptom of the fact that we had our right back on the goal line crossing to our left back in the six-yard box, which we've seen over and over again. Great when it results in a goal, not so good when it leaves like 50 square yards of space for Ipswich to pass into and and get their second goal. In that sense, we scored a couple of goals from open play, which click apart, we're not managed in the Villa game. That should have helped. It should have been a confidence builder, if there's a way of just pretending the goals against didn't happen.
2: Ipswich (laughs) hadn't scored for several games on the bounce, had there? Was it like four games or something they'd not scored?
3: And they were in they were, party then, mode. And then without, they, were, they were all drunk on champagne.
2: Without having to Drug actually create them. any chances in this
3: game, they managed to score three. Drug test them.
2: I think the worrying thing for me is that I'd, I'd not 100% sure who played badly in this game Pablo didn't have his best game mm. and I thought Harrison had a poor game until he was taken off but the fact that no one seemed to play horrendously but we still were quite we've poor we've changed
3: things around a bit as well since the Villa game I think this has kind of gone a little bit un- unnoticed this little experiment of putting Click at number 10 for sure where Click was playing and Phillip's still where he was it's, it's much more defensive because he's putting Click there because he's uh, strong and physical in the enganche role and a little bit creative if he can link up play and he can pass wide as he as he has to. The contradiction is it turns us into more of a defensive team, and then we can see three to Ipswich. But it has been a change from what we're used to. We've always had a flair player at number ten: Hernandez, Saez, Roberts, Roof. And this is the first time, in the last couple of games, with Roberts being injured, Roof not fit. He's gone with Click at ten and getting Forshaw back in, who he also really likes. He's, and he talked about it after the game, this defensive structure through the middle of the pitch. I suppose we did technically keep a clean sheet with it against Villa, but we only really clicked into gear against Ipswich once Harrison had gone off, Hernandez moved into the middle and we were just giving him the ball in, in the middle of the pitch again.
1: Maybe just that sort of cumulative effect where you have a few little off days. Well, like you say, they're not terrible. They're just not quite on it. Harrison's misfiring, a bit slower through midfield. Maybe it's just a cumulative effect of all those things. What do you think?
2: It just worries me that we we were okay against Villa without really creating any chances. But our form recently has been at an all-time low for this season and it's not coming at the finest time. It's not, but is that because
1: the season's effectively over the regular season anyway? Obviously, we've got an eye on the playoffs, so they've kind of, as soon
2: as it Mm. fell away against Wigan, it's like, right, we get through to the end and then we start again. Falling away against Wigan was part of it going wrong, though. There I mean, was, since, there was, but since, There are many, many games where it, there was still a lot to play for and it was since going that, wrong. You
1: know what I mean? Since that point, you had the Brentford game where really it was out of reach and Villa, not much on it. And it got a bit heated and excited because of, you know, everything that went on
2: in that game. It's just kind of half an eye on the playoffs. It feels to me more like it's just a continuation of that form that led to us being in the playoffs in the first place. And that's what worries me.
1: There was a point in this game we were only a West Brom goal away from uh, dropping into fourth as well.
2: (laughs) The idea that we we would finish uh, fourth in a three horse race was (laughs) was glorious.
3: I think Alan Howe tweeted that.
1: Well, in the end we finished third, as we know, eighty three points. Probably should have had about a hundred.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was looking at um, Experimental Three Six One website has put out some of its sort of end of season. Graphics and um, one is for kind of our performance related to expected goal difference, which is a a bit nerdy, but it does show that we have we went we were massively overachieving at the start of the season in terms of the goals we were getting compared to what we should have been scoring and conceding, and that we have been underachieving all the way uh, towards the end. And the other thing I noticed was that Patrick Bamford, the expected goals for him on average only, I uh, can't remember who the name of the guy who plays up front on his own for QPR. He's the only one who's had chances of the same quality as Bamford in the entire division. So we've been making all the way through the best quality of chances for our strikers' roof's expected goals right at the top. But we've just, we've not finished them off. And games like this are a perfect example where we can score two goals and still come away with the defeat. Yeah, we should have had 100 points. We should have absolutely romped this league. And it's worth explaining
1: why expected goals is used as a measure. It's a measure of the quality of chances that you create, isn't it? And then you can obviously compare that to the number of goals that you score. So if you've got a high expected goals, the idea is that the chances were really good and you should have scored them. It's to do with position and the player and all that kind of thing, isn't it, all factored in?
3: And to be fair, the other axis on this chart is not only did Patrick Bamford have was basically given the easiest chances in the division to score. His actual ratio for goals per minute is actually really good up with the rest of them. So there's a, there's an element of maybe we didn't see him enough and fit enough throughout the season. And that's that's an interesting turnabout from the way we've been talking about Bamford lately as being just a bollocking up, chance missing, flouncing pants. But actually perhaps if we'd had him for longer this season he could have actually made more of a difference yeah two bad knee injuries and I wonder as well if that's contributed to our late season decline of both Bamford coming back from two serious knee injuries and Roof at the moment is coming back from quite a bad injury as well it kept him out for two months and we're bringing them back quicker than we perhaps might if we had other luxuries and um, can only hope it doesn't affect the playoffs.
1: And the thing with the playoffs is they're now one-off occasions, and I know that may send a chill up your spine as a Leeds fan, but it's the truth of it. We don't need now a sustained run of quality. They just need to give their all for these three games, hopefully three, and see us through, see the job through. But we'll come on to all that in a bit, just reflecting now as we've closed out the regular season. I know, obviously, very disappointing to fall short of the automatic spots given where we were, but for the majority of the time, it's actually been a really nice season, and I've really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to overlook the end of it, I think, at the moment. It it, it obviously be remembered completely differently depending on us going up through the playoffs. If we go up through the playoffs, then it's often said it's the most fun, best way to go up if you can. Mm. But I've just always assumed we won't.
3: As a simple measure, we've won 25 games this season. The last time we won 25 games in the season was the year we got promoted from League One. So it's the, fir- it's only the second time this decade that we've won 25 games in a season. And looking back before that, we won 26 games the season before that and won and finished fourth. We won 27 games in 2007-8 and finished fifth. Obviously we would have had 15 more points, um, if it hadn't been for Ken Bates. You have to go back because Premier League, you play fewer games. But when we finished third in the Millennium season, we won 21 games. So seeing 25 wins, you can't dismiss that out of hand and go, oh, it's been rubbish. I think part of that overachievement at the start of the season did create this weird thing where if we had carried on that form, we probably would have broken all kinds of longstanding football performance records and been one of the greatest teams of all time. That'd have been fine though. I'd have been okay with that. <laughs> but it's very unlikely. And I think that's where it's kind of, it would have been better if our form hadn't fallen off to the extent that we finished third. But it's not surprising that our form did fall off to some extent. And we didn't miss out by a huge amount. It's not like we fell away to sixth or seventh, God help us. It just seems like a long time ago since we were actually really, really shit hot.
1: And when we were really, really shit hot, the feeling was slightly different in that it was all still to play for. And I think as soon as that prize started to fall away, so did our form.
3: I think we were all in shock as well. That was part of the pleasure of the the start of the season was like the opening day at Stoke was open mouthed all the way through. Couldn't believe what we're seeing. And then we went and did it again against Derby as it was like, wow, it wasn't a fluke. Like beating Norwich 3-0 away. Extraordinary performance. We looked absolutely fantastic. Nobody could believe how good Leeds United was. And then it gets to the point it's like, right, got to make this count now and I, I wonder if um, whether that became difficult for the players and it became difficult for us to watch as well we had that element of like well why aren't we being astonished in every single game anymore
1: on last week's extra ball podcast which is well worth a listen if you haven't heard it yet we did our version of gogglebox on the 1996 coca-cola cup final This week in episode 10, we've got a question that we're going to be tackling from Lee. I'm unlucky enough to live in the south of England, so I don't get up to Ellen Road that often. So I haven't been able to take my son. And like a lot of his mates
3: down here, unfortunately, he's been turned and he's an Arsenal fan. I know. What strategies can you lads offer for showing him the light
1: the question of indoctrination I can think of a few ideas what about you we are putting plans in place as well now to do more podcasting and by subscribing to the extra ball it does help accelerate us towards that and it supports this bad boy as well it's two ninety nine a month for the extra ball your first month is free please check it out at the squareball.net forward slash the extra ball we'll immerse ourselves fully in the wonder of Marcelo Bielsa shortly first we want to hear about your real world sightings of the great and not so great Leeds players because Moscow you crossed paths with one Paul Butler in a Cheshire branch of Costa Coffee. He was bathing himself in marshmallows and probably mediocrity as well whilst you were probably writing
3: something fancy. A memorable experience. One I'd I'd sooner forget but I get reminded of it every week. So off we go. Who've we got this week? Well, a much better um, central defensive citing than that from Gary McVeigh K who is at Shea K on Twitter says I spotted Pontus Janssen with his family at Weatherby Services. I'd stopped in to buy 442 magazine and only when I was driving off did I realise I'd missed the opportunity to get the Pontus Janssen feature that's in 442 magazine signed. So not only is that a great player sighting, but it's also a magnificent piece of uh, product placement because I wrote that bloody Pontus Janssen feature. Is it any good? Nah, it's rubbish. No, it is very good, actually. It is, I say that dispassionately. I was told after I'd sat and interviewed him in Thor Arch that um, it was one of the best interview he'd done since he'd been at, at Leeds United. That was obviously based on sitting and listening to me talking to him. The actual written version, I ruined it. But 442 is still so fit to print it. And it's all right. It's good. Nice to be published. And how was Pontus? It was good, actually. It was really nice. It was um the only day... Well, the only afternoon off the players were being given in about a 10 day period and he delayed getting home. He spent half an hour with us and he had some other stuff um, that he was being made to do, but he was good. He apologized for keeping us waiting because he'd had to, he got some food first. He said, you didn't want to interview me on a, an empty stomach. And it, I spoke to him mostly about him growing up as a, a Malmo fan. Um, and when he was um, invading the pitch, he was the first person to run onto Malmo's pitch when they won the league as a 12 year old because he used to watch every game standing at the front of the lower tier and the match where they were going to win the the league, all the people around him said, full time, you've got to be on the pitch. And he was like, okay, I guess we better be on the pitch. So him and his mates were the first ones to be running on. And uh, I think it explains a lot, or what I was trying to do in the article was explain a lot about why Pontus is how he is. The Ipswich game, he took his shirt straight off and was straight down the tunnel at the end of it. Because um, when a lot of players now, even at championship level, they grow up in academies and they don't really see, they only really see training pitches and they go to stadiums where they're playing under 23s or under 18s football. And in the
1: bubble, I think is the phrase. you Very much at, yeah.
3: in the bubble. Whereas when he was, uh, up until he was about 16, I think he was basically going home and away with Malmo's ultras. And uh, there's a nice quote where he said to, uh, when he started going to games, he wouldn't say to his dad, like, who's playing for Malmo today? He would say, Oh, is the capo going to be here to lead all the singing? He was more worried about what was going to be happening with the fans in the terraces than he was about the team on the pitch. And, uh, and yeah, he said for a while he saw himself having a bigger future as a Malmo fan, as a player. And then he ended up on the pitch. So it's all worth reading about. And it's the 25th anniversary of 442. So you get it. It comes in a but in a box and it's got some prints inside. It's very nice. Beautiful. So thank you, Gary, both for your contribution and for the helpful plug for my <laughs> article.
1: Uh, Jake Porritt's been on as well, says, once met Rio Ferdinand at a Nando's in Leeds. This playing back into many previous Nando's sightings, always popular with footballers due to its high protein chicken and rice combo that you can get. Footballers also just lack
3: imagination, I think. They've just heard of it, so they'll go there. <laughs> I always remember Robbie Rogers, uh, one of his famous tweets was... Uh, Nando's, 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 but he spelt the third Nando's wrong. <laughs> third, just the third one. Just the third one. Can't type the same word three times in a row correctly. That's your footballers. That's the brain injuries <laughs> taking the toll. This is where this takes a sinister
1: twist, though. It says Rio Ferdinand was trying to get a free meal, which seems a little bit... £18 million pound footballer he trying to get a free Nando's. Probably afford it. These are... i just like to say these are Jake's words, not mine. Scumprick. Mm. Uh, also met Don Polion at the very same Nando's. I think it was after we got a Scum Scumprick. <laughs> Oldham is that how we view Oldham now uh, I think it was after we got a thumping from Bolton as all I remember asking him is what the fuck happened and he
3: pointed out that he didn't play good old Dom I do not think Dom Polion's a scum prick I like Dom Pollion. you deserve better than, uh, than the way he left
2: Maybe Rio Ferdinand has potentially if he managed to negotiate the free meal Maybe this has gone on his CV, if you know, he's been touting himself for like the, whatever job it is, I think he's been director a like of the football. director of football and also potentially for some sort of senior managerial position mm-hmm. there as well. You know, this could be, could be one of his big things, you know, when, can you give an example of a time at work when you've really pushed for a, for a tough deal or something and it's gone,
3: <laughs> got a free sweet corn, didn't I? Yeah, I used to get so much stuff out of Peter Ridsdale, you know what a tough negotiator he was, so... Has to be said, by the way, just on Manchester United
1: at the moment, isn't it quite enjoyable what they're doing? Oh, it's hilarious. It is good.
2: I was I was trying to argue this with um, someone at work when Solskjaer came in and was doing well, and I was saying, no, this is good. This is a good thing because they, they're going to give him the job. And he's look, he's not very good, is he? He's failed at Cardiff before. He's been managing in Norway. He's not a particularly great manager, and they're going to they're fall for it,
3: and they've fallen for it. When he was uh, managing Mould in Norway, Brian Dean managing Sarpsborg beat him. So Brian Dean would be a better manager for uh, Manchester United, but he wouldn't do it because Brian Dean is not a scum prick.
2: We've had one from um, Toby Riles. Um, I met Snowgrass and Prutton in the Viper Rooms, which I, I looked it up. Not a strip club, yep. just an, just a regular club. Um, although on a Friday, women drink for free between nine and twelve. It's really? a good deal, isn't it? Are you That's allowed to do that these days in gender in these times of gender equality? Potentially. I mean, if you want to go down there and argue your you gender with them for some free drinks, you could you could give it a go. But he, he met them in there on the night we beat Carlisle in the playoff semi. Um and as you can imagine he was quite excitable. However, Prutton seemed to get a bit annoyed when he kept calling him Danny. <laughs> that was a great night. Did you go to Carlisle? I did. I, I did. I did as well. It was very good, on it? That, on that terrace.
3: Lots of uh, lots of limbs, as they say these days. Was it the night when all the Carlisle fans ran on and started punching our players? Oh
2: no, that was the JPT. Right, okay. Much bigger game. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah
3: mattered more
1: there was a moment in that game where I sort of, oh, just a blackout after Housen scored I nudged my mate and said he's going to score this he scored it and then I woke up in a pile <laughs> so just
2: it was the proverbial limbs as you said the discussion we had earlier reminded me of this slightly talking about the season as a whole of it, a really good bit but then because of what happened after it it kind of stopped you enjoying what was the really good bit which was this <laughs> basically the season up to us losing to Sheffield United was Housen's winner against Carlisle the bit after it was losing to Donny in the playoff final.
1: At least we got one League United team that can win playoffs. Hey, that's good
3: news that the under-23s beat Birmingham. That was nice. A national final as well, where they get a, a trophy and they get to um, lord it up in a successful season all around. Got it on penalties, nil-nil. And then, yeah, not only did we win a playoff match, but we scored four penalties.
2: And we should have won it before then. We had a perfectly good goal disallowed from what I could see because the football league corruption goes as deep as the under-23s, I'm led to believe. Deep state. But No, it's nice. Nice to win something. And it was nice to see, um, I think it was Paul Robinson of the YEP put in Put this alongside pictures of the, the Whelan generation and then the Woodgate generation. Was it 1993 and 97, I'm yeah. Right. yeah. You'll yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Alongside those two pictures. And you thought, oh, particularly from the second picture, you think there were some good players in there? Some good players in the first
3: one. I
1: mean. You remember, well, you remember that game? I mean, it was when they were just in the process of building the East Stand after we'd won the league. And obviously the season after was fairly terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the high point of the season, if you remember. But we had a crowd of, what was it, about 30,000 that night? Imagine that. Loads of people turning up
3: unexpectedly. For a youth final. Yes. It's um, something that you could possibly predict. I mean, there's a precedent for it. That game wasn't even on a bank holiday and it wasn't even free from what I remember. I think there may have been a nominal fee to get into that one. Might be wrong about that. But uh, yes, they didn't seem as well prepared for it today from what I can gather.
2: I, I tweeted over the weekend when the club were promoting it, I think it might have been Edmondson actually tweeted about it saying, come along and watch it, it's free. I tweeted say, I hope the club are ready for this because I think a lot of people are going to turn up. I was going to take my own children to it today actually and I thought, I'm not going, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, so, so was I. <laughs> and then I looked on Twitter and to be greeted with a sped up video of a queue snaking around the entire stadium, trying to get in presumably through two turnstiles because that's what the, the instructions the club gave were like, go to turnstiles four and five mm. and you can get in for free. It's like, it's going to be. there's going to be a lot of people there.
3: It was a contributing factor to me not going as well because I thought about it, Bank Holiday Monday, lunchtime, wandered down, have a look. But then I thought, unless I'm there like an hour beforehand, probably going to just get caught in a massive queue and who wants to sit in an empty Ellen Road for an hour on Bad Comedy Monday? Yeah, yeah. So it just became a little bit pointless, uh, not quite as pointless as all the, the news stories I've seen since, which is like, look at this queue at Elland Road. It's like, what the fuck would I want to look at a queue? <laughs> I'm just grateful I wasn't in it. I don't need to see it. But it is weird. Why, why do we use the West Stand for these games? Because I think the capacity of the East Stand lower is, I think, 10,000 from memory you can get 8000 in the west stand so you'd probably have all the room you needed in the the east stand but they persist in putting everybody through the the west stand every time and it's just I'm guessing know, it
2: because the staff in the west stand anyway because yeah, yeah. where the players go in and yeah. that sort of stuff but for a game like this where clearly i think what was the actual attendance in the end well, just 8, of eight. just shy of
1: 8 those are the ones that got but in in the end and get probably, turned away
2: it would have been in excess of 10000 I mean, I've been at competitive games at Ellen Road that have had smaller crowds than that. I was there when we beat Barnett in the League Cup and I think there were about yeah.
3: 7,000 there. And they'd done it in the uh, League Cup matches in the, the early rounds. The only seats at sell would be the East Stand and you would sit there in early August staring into the sun <laughs> that's coming over the <laughs> the top of the, the West Stand. And I can remember the going back to that the 2010, the beam back of the Charlton match was in the, the East Stand. Well, it's the most modern stand we have. The concourse is a huge you can't really sell anything in the the West End because all the bars are, are tiny and stuff. But if you open up all the bars and stuff in the East End concourses, it's party time. It's not so far away that they can't open the stand on the other side of the ground if that's the kind of the thinking of it. It's just, you can go straight across the pitch if you really have to. Well, the madness
1: of this was that they sought out a fixture change that allowed them to do what they wanted to do and made it free and made them all tweet out saying, come on down and people took them up on their offer. They were surprised by the reaction. It's just, and that's where they got it wrong.
2: You know you hear about these teenage parties that people get invited to on Facebook where like 8,000 people turn up to a a semi-detached house somewhere in Wakefield. Parents come back and just find a cinder where the house used to be. But this this is not that situation. This is a large football club inviting their enormous social media base of followers down to watch a game for free. They surely could tell this was going to happen.
3: In a a final, on a bank holiday, free. The other thing to do would be to do what... uh, Because the semi-final was held at Guiseley and sold out because they did tickets for it. So nobody turned up to that and got turned away because you had to book in advance. And even if it was free, just do it so you have to register. I mean, we brought the 49ers... It's turning out not for their ticketing expertise, just purely for their £10 million, but it was supposed to be, oh, they're experts in ticketing expertise and surely it's not beyond the combined wit of Leeds United and the 49ers to put their heads together and say, could we not just have people register and then they can like pick up a ticket at the ticket office and get in?
2: If it's free to get in, why does it take time to get through turnstiles?
3: Because they need to issue tickets and know how many people are in, don't they?
2: Can't they just... Keep a track of how many people are going through turnstiles.
3: And have lots of turnstiles instead of just two. I mean if you doubled the number of turnstiles that were open, so it would be still just four.
2: That'd be twice, twice as quick, wouldn't it?
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> quick maths, yeah. Well in the end it looked like people were going in a tunnel um in the northeast corner.
3: Yeah, because I think from what I can gather they had to like swiftly open bits of the cop and stuff and were not necessarily hadn't really worked out how to get them in. So I think through that tunnel in under the northwest corner, um and then just into the stand... That way. Uh, um Anyway, <laughs> hey, let's move on from it. Elbow yeah. Shadow's a good thing that's happened. Though, <laughs> yeah. which, but you see, know, honestly, just... Before just, we start laying into matches, Bogus for missing his penalty. <laughs> useless little bastard. <laughs> but actually, uh, Camille uh, Music's penalty saves, he saved two and they were both really good. And I think as big an award as winning the PDL National and all that stuff, he got full Berardi celebrating right in his face picking him up punching him probably has (laughs) followed him home and is just sitting in the bushes outside his house staring through the window as a gesture of congratulations
1: and final word on this was a brilliant tweet we received this afternoon from Mark Mason who said why are they so shocked that many Leeds fans turned up we would get at least 20,000 to watch Pablo Hernandez shit on a picture of Neil Warnock spot on right let's move on to Bielsa because a couple of things to delve into first of all there's the whole disciplinary issue, the ban, the dive-in, his comments on that, and the fact that he's a wonderful human being because he's paid them all. Well,
3: when you contrast him with the Football Association, who didn't ban Horaine or take any action against him because he, he just wasn't aggressive enough for their liking, which is just a bizarre... I mean, the Bamford decision, nobody has a, a problem with Bamford being banned for what he did. Absolutely right. But for Villa as a whole to get away with absolutely no sanctions whatsoever because El Ghazi got his red card rescinded and that was really the only action that was taken against them they got a goal back that now I think everybody accepts they should never have had that goal back anyway you would think oh here's a video of their player punching another player we'll give him a ban for that just sends out the right it's message the right bloody thing yeah. to do yes it stops people from going up to other players and punching off the them. ball and punching them
2: it shows how much they, they make these things up as well because if he had done that and been sent off for it and Villa appealed the same panel would look at it and go, no, we can't appeal that. He's punched him. Yeah, yeah But yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. the other way around, it doesn't work. It's like, surely if you're trying to keep, you trying to keep a rule consistent is the purpose of, of a rule is that it is something you can apply across all games, all players. And
1: as Bielsa himself pointed out, and I think you sent out your your email, Moscow, to this effect, it just
3: encourages people to cheat. I was quite pleased about this because um, after the Hurricane non-decision uh, was handed down, my... Daily email. I'll email you every day if you give me a pound a month. Go on the internet. I'll do it. I said that the the implication is that the there is a level of violence against Leeds United players that is acceptable. That this punch did not go above. And Click was basically, as Bielsen talked about, was betrayed by his iron six pack that so he didn't go down under the the weight of this punch. He just took it unflinchingly and uh, and essentially the FA is saying no, hit him harder, stab him. Punch him in the face, not the stomach. It really hurt him. They've not hurt him enough. And he's looking for that, that level of how aggressive and Bielsa ended up using Salim Lamrani's shoulder to demonstrate this. Like, yeah, how hard do you have to punch somebody and how much of a flounce do they have to take to the floor before the FA will, will take action? And it does just, just open up um, the opportunity. Yeah, pick the hardest player on the pitch, go up to him, punch him in the, the solar plexus, but not hard enough for them to fall and you'll be fine. You called it right, actually, on the last podcast, Michael. It was quite prescient saying it, that
1: we see people these days getting sent off just for grabbing people by the throat and a bit of handbags, red card these days, and yet this to not receive a ban is just it's just weird, isn't it? And I know, you know, we kind of feed off this conspiracy theory that everyone's out to get us, and we kind of ham it up a little bit because it gives us togetherness. But it's hard not to view something like this and think, there's a bit of something in that.
2: It was like the Brentford one uh, earlier in the season as well, where it, it wasn't a good headbutt, admittedly, mm. but it was an obvious movement towards Alioski, which is, again, it's the sort of thing that players get sent off for all the time. And what commentators will say is, well, you can't really argue with that. He's he's gone, he's gone in with it. You can't get away with that these days. But actually, you can get away with that these days. If you're not seen at the time by the referee and a panel of people
3: view it afterwards, you can get away with it. And the answer we... Well, what about the roof handball goal against Forrester? Maybe I've not seen back the Stuart Dallas one against it, which I think that would be too close to call. But so what about that one? But that's something that happened in a game that the referee called wrong. And if we have VAR on our games next season, it won't be called wrong. It will be viewed and it will go, right, that goal shouldn't count because it's gone in off his hand. We have a situation here where people are sitting down in a room days later, three of them, soberly v- viewing the footage backwards and forwards, they've got all the information that they need. They're not seeing it in a one-off. The referee only gets to see it once and the linesman might be unsighted because of a player in his way. They can sit down and view it and they just go like, no, he's not punching him hard enough. He's, he's not head him hard enough. I mean, Karnas ran up behind Alioski to attack him. Didn't do a very good job of it. No action taken. But violent intent nonetheless. Exactly. And not just violent intent, there was a violent action. But again, we're saying Alioski didn't go down. Alioski basically turned around and went, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so no action is taken. And that's the that's where you start to get paranoid as a Leeds fan. As you say, who are these panel of three people who don't get identified? They're three ex-referees. And at least they have to be unanimous. At least one of them is sitting there and going, nope. And it only takes one Leeds-hating bastard in that room. So we're like, nope, not violent enough. And the other two are going, I mean, he has hit him. Nope. And it'll probably be fucking that. Who's that Huddersfield? I suppose it's X Rest, isn't it? Jeff so it Winter be... it'll be.
1: Oh God, he hated us, didn't he? And quite open about it. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, what was nice was that Marcelo just sort of quietly transcended and exposed all that bullshit without really saying it. He just hung enough on it to he, point out that it's how stupid the whole thing is. He did go on about it for nearly an hour. No, no, but he didn't he didn't point fingers. He always He's always keen to say and stress that referees and even these panels, they've got a difficult job. However this looks a little bit off. But what we also took from that press conference was paying the fines. Mm. And he's a wonderful man. He doesn't need to do that, but it's wonderful that he is doing. And do you know what? It's made me a little bit more zen about the playoffs because
3: there's something more important at work here and that's him rather than promotion. I mean, the other thing about him paying that £200,000 fine, which was an extraordinarily big fine, that's the third thing of the everybody hates Leeds this season thing is that we got fined a huge amount of money for not breaking any rules. I think the uh that when Bielsa was then jokingly asked about it by this so-called journalist after the Ipswich game, of course he's not gonna laugh about it. It cost him two hundred thousand pounds that he was probably going to be spending on Newell's old boys curtains and bedspreads for the hotel he's building in Rosario. So of course he's not gonna have a, a sense of humor about it, but it is uh it's illustrative of the the responsibility he's taking for the entire club this season. I think it comes with his um his way of negotiating his pay package in the first place, where it is essentially that we've given him X millions of pounds, not just to pay his wages, but he then pays his coaching staff and he hires his own coaching staff and brings them in. And even down to, it was interesting with the Spygate stuff where he said, the club don't even know that I do this. I employ this person out of my coaching team. Nobody at the club knew this was happening. And he takes the responsibility for that. He says, right, if I'm doing this stuff, Spygate, if I did this that the club didn't know about, I'll pay for it. If it's my job, because I'm in charge of the playing side and the coaching, and I'm getting this money to do the whole thing as a, an entire piece, my responsibility.
2: What a guy. He took me back as well to some of the people who we've had at the club previously, admittedly not, not managers, but the likes of Sean Harvey when anything went wrong. even though he was running it, or if there was a sort of a query about who owns the club, hands in the air, like, it's nothing to do with me, this, I don't know it, not really my job, speak to someone else, or Bates racking up massive legal bills for his own petty little squabbles in in the programme. Again, the club were forking out for Mm -hmm. legal bills, so that, that wasn't even anything to do with football. That was his own... Big mouth, running
3: him into trouble. i careful how I phrase it. Yeah, so your big mouth.
1: Ma- Dan's legal edit. <laughs> your big mouth nearly got
3: you in trouble then, not it? That was said in court, though, wasn't it? Sean Harvey had to admit that uh, Ken Bates' programme notes were costing the club a fortune in legal bills. And it was all purely, goes back to one of the reasons why he left Chelsea was because they stopped him from having his notes in the programme. So he flounced off and wrote them in Bolton's <laughs> for a game that just happened to be against Chelsea. But all that stuff, it is refreshing um, it shows the seriousness, not just as we said about the the disciplinary side, but that we also takes the whole job, where it's like I am being paid to run this whole operation. It's my responsibility to run it properly. Although what he can do about Patrick Bamford, apart from take him to his dad and get him told off properly, grounded for a month, is uh, is beyond me. But they'll confiscate his pony for a bit. That's what they'll do.
1: Hey, th- this lets us segue nicely into uh, one of our former owners, Massimo Cellino, has got Brescia promoted. Some achievement. Do you reckon he's picking the team there?
3: Uh, Well, if you read, um, there is an article in issue 10 of the Squareball catching up with Chilino and the, as you might expect, the number of sackings, hirings, firings, people who've gone back. He basically, I can't remember the exact ins and outs, but basically he he sacked the coach, hired his assistant, sacked him, brought the first coach back, hired this, all that kind of stuff. And somehow um, they've ended up being promoted, which is... um, uh, extraordinary. So yeah, Shalino back in Serie A and already being linked with signing Mario Balotelli, which yes. I'm sure will go very, very well. Absolutely nothing to worry about there.
1: Uh, when it comes to now former ex-players, ban is on his way out. You see, that was a good bit of business. It's turned out in the end, buying him for half a million and we're selling him for what, a couple of million? It's
3: either one or two. It was being talked about as one all season and it suddenly jumped to two, so I'm not sure, but we're making a profit on him. Um, a while ago, their president said that Leeds would have to pay him 10 million pounds to stop him from signing Caleb Echeverri permanently so I'm quite glad we didn't take that deal shows how we have we have learned from the Ch- the chilino era uh, just like, how hey, you are 10 million take Ross McCormack away but yeah he yeah scored against Galatasaray made us at least a half a million pound profit could be playing in the Europa League next season all round nice guy got a lovely smile Never did anything wrong. At least he scored a couple of goals for us. Scored week, a couple, he? missed a lot of chances, but yeah. it, it he does, would have fit it does, right
2: in. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of reflect, though, the model that we've moved to. I know it's not something we necessarily want as a, a way to run a club, but getting these players in who are who are a bit of a gamble, but with it probably in mind that even if they're not good enough here, they'll be good enough for somewhere and they'll still be good value and we can sell them on.
3: Yeah, it will be interesting. There's a few players' fates yet to be decided in that what happens to Pavel Chubitsky. What happens to J-Roy Grotz? What happens to Yusuki Idiguchi? Who I noticed... um, Injured? (laughs) No, but on his comeback from injury, he's not played for the first team on his comeback yet. He's been on the bench, but on his first comeback match for the reserve team, he got sent off two yellow cards in the first half an hour. I do admire uh, Idiguchi, but there might have been that move when uh, Orta and Radrixani first came in of, oh, let's use the under 23s to develop and sell. And then I think they quickly dropped that idea, basically, because it's a waste of energy when you could you need to really focus on getting out of the championship. You can't leap straight to the Chelsea Farm model when you're fifteenth in Division Two. But it's perhaps not been as harmful as uh, as it could have been.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Well, this is exciting. Then the blasphemy baton comes to a close for the 2018-19 season. This, if you are a new listener, also known as the God Rod, it started out in January when we put forward a theory Uh, via Stoke's highly religious manager, Nathan Jones, who said a lot of his success was down to believing in God and having God on his side. So we put that game down as a test of God's existence and his omnipotence. Would he allow Stoke to beat Leeds? Of course they did. So then the baton changes hands only through uh, victory. It passed through the hands of the Preston, Reading, Hull, Borough, uh, before it ended up landing with Forrest for the last few games of the season, who beat Bolton on the final day of the season. And they have finished the season in possession of the blasphemy baton, and are God's chosen club for this season anyway.
3: I mean, God I can't have chosen that wisely if Forrest only managed to beat Bolton 1-0. Mind you, Brentford beat them 1-0 and they didn't even turn up. Very good. Sam Byron, at least, is now in the sight of God, um, at least until he goes back to West Ham when his, his loan finishes. But yeah, Nottingham Forest, the team of Brian Clough, Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane.
2: The Godrod Franz ending the Carr. season in the hands of a Northern Irish Catholic. It's it's very controversial. (laughs) Roy Keane, I mean,
3: I I don't want him near it, to be honest. Shoving it up his bollocks, or somebody else's bollocks, whoever happens to be passing. I would be much more comfortable if it had been Mick McCarthy, whose bollocks I believe the World Cup was going to be shoved up. Um, Is there some way we can just take it off Forest and give it to somebody we like? Mind you, trees, big in the Bible, is is the tree of
1: life... That's the one in the uh, Garden of Eden, so of God going back to his roots if he's like
3: favouring forests. It had Gary Monk in it, didn't it, offering fruit to uh, a lady? If she foolishly took it. Never take fruit from Gary Monk, that's my advice.
2: I mean, I've, I've read the Bible, obviously, a lot more than you guys because... What it, what immediately comes to my mind is uh, with your phone in your hand. Is no, I'm I'm um, on Snapchat with that. It's nothing to do with what, <laughs> what I'm reading. Um, is Psalm as most that's the correct pronunciation, isn't it? Persalm? I believe so. Yes, Psalm fifty colon nine hyphen eleven. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goat out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on the thousand hills, I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. You can stay out of my folds, by the way. What about the goats? Willing to give them a try.
1: (laughs) Well, we've only got two or three games left this season, and we will have a look at the first of those next. But first, Heroes and Villains. This, it's an acknowledgement of people who've either enriched or ruined our lives a wee bit. As Leeds fans, uh, we are doing our own end-of-season awards, it should be said, by the way, in this week's Extra Ball podcast, including Heroes and Villains of the Season. But let's turn our matters to this one first, the Ken Bates Villainy Award, which, Is, as custom, first nominee, Ken Bates, for something he's done at some point, which
2: might well be... They're getting increasingly harder to find at are these, aren't they? What have we got? Well, we're going through history. So um, this time, 10 years ago, we just we just finished fourth. But then and Fabian Delph had been nominated for everything, won everything, player of the year, league one player of the year, etc. Et it et cetera. won like f- football league overall. Go Goal of to, the year, uh, best young player ever, that sort of stuff. Dead good guy of the year. Uh, we sold him for beige cladding. He's not gone on to do much since though, not won much.
1: Let's move on. Thanks, Ken. Or not, as the case may be. Uh, quick call back to last week as well. Last week's villain, Chris Wilder had been on the source and he's apologised for his drunken slurs about Bamford and Leeds except it wasn't really an apology he kind of put it down to how he is you know that kind of oh well you know what I'm like when I've had a drink emotions a- were I yeah.
3: <laughs> emotions were I we'd had a couple of drinks yeah they're right how so knees up that's, that's how it is it's how I am <laughs> oh, I'm old school direct quotes this by the way oh, I'm old school when people open their mouth say things they've got to expect stuff to come back but <laughs> Nothing personal. Leeds are an outstanding team. I won't bet against them coming up in playoffs. But not Patrick Bamford. Not fucking Patrick Bamford, though. Did you see the
2: clip of the Sheffield United players doing the little train thing? No. Yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine manoeuvres. Yeah, it needs to be. You need to see it. It's them celebrating on the pitch at their f- Stoke game. But they're all kind of in a, in a line doing the little. Um, this isn't going to translate well in our podcast. A little choo choo. Right, okay. Pull down the yeah. pull down the chewer. That's what it's called, isn't it? The Chewer. That's the Chewer, is the official. The the Chew Chewer. Um, Doing that in a line, but it's very, it's got something of um, a more by the Tigers sort of vibe to it.
3: I was thinking Human Centipede. (laughs) (laughs) Should we nominate them and Norwich for not celebrating their promotions properly? Because I think Norwich wouldn't do it properly. Norwich today, uh, (laughs) their open top bus ground to a halt. And I'd, I'd already seen, I think before that, that they'd somehow put all the. Um, like the stewards and the backroom staff on the big bus that had all the Norwich city promoted stuff on the side. And the, the players themselves were just on an open top bus that said like Norwich sightseeing. So they'd already kind of got that mixed up. But yeah, and then they're, they're all pretending to push the bus. I mean, we would do it properly.
2: Berardi would be ripping seats out and throwing them from the top deck of an open-top bus just in in celebration. Naked. Probably. I like to think he'd spend his whole summer just shaking people in Leeds City (laughs) Centre, grabbing anyone he sees in a Leeds tracksuit, just grabbing the face and yelling into it.
3: It might have to do that, because obviously we won't do an open-top bus tour for winning the playoffs, but it will if we do just have a day of...
2: We surely would. Yeah, yeah, of course
3: we would. If we do just have a day of Berardi just going around Leeds, just (laughs) knocking on people's doors, going... (laughs) Get in! <laughs> and just door to door. Yes. <laughs> oh, is it the milkman? No. <laughs> do that for months.
2: <laughs> Everyone who leads is afraid to open their doors. It's not the debt collector, it's worse. <laughs> it's and he's browsy and I think he's happy. It's hard to tell.
3: <laughs> who else do we want to nominate? There's not been an identity on him, but whoever this idiot journalist was who, uh, asked Bielsa about Spygate I've not heard the audio back yet but if he had a Scottish accent that would put him possibly as the same person who started having a go at Thomas Christensen after the Ipswich game last year one of TC's finest moments when this journalist who nobody had ever seen before started saying the photographer here tells me that Unano uh, O'Kain headbutted Ipswich's player and Thomas Christensen went to him prove it and started having a, an argument with him he said my son tells me he didn't well, yeah, for some reason, every Ipswich match, we have to go through this rigmarole with some dickhead journalist. And yeah, just absolute spineless response. Oh, I was only joking. Like, have you not looked at Bielsa all season and just thought to yourself, maybe I won't do this?
2: Bielsa yeah. clarified, I all saying, it's not that I don't have a sense of humour. I do have a sense of humour. You're not funny. Fuck off, you little prick. <laughs> Is that what he said? Didn't say the end bit, but it was there for the, for the person to read in their own mind. When it comes to these awful, bloody
1: simplistic cliches. Did you see Sky have been photoshopping pictures of Bielsa with binoculars
3: for their Derby build-up? They've been oh photoshopping way. into oh. him into a suit all year mm. for some reason. You may as well photoshop him onto a, somebody in a swimsuit. It's just like, take something that he would not You'd be do. looking through my phone. <laughs> and it's just disrespectful. Point, and it's up against, he's staring at a, a photograph of Frank Lampard who doesn't appear to have been altered in any way apart from maybe, unless they've slimmed him down a little bit.
2: But yeah, it's a lazy crap narrative which he's going to run for at least the next week and a half
3: and speaking of lazy narratives Krista Aykroyd sorry uh, the ex Luck North presenter until she got into trouble for the way that she was receiving her wages through a, a separate company um, has still got a column in the Yorkshire Post which she used Bielsa's fantastic sporting conduct in letting Aston Villa equalise to have a go at people who work in call centres <laughs> Which is one of the most bizarre, I mean, it's very typical of the Yorkshire Post being extremely reactionary newspaper. I don't think anybody under the age of about 70 reads it. But Krista said that what Bielsa reminded us is that fair play and manners matter. So, to all those in the service industries who believe they're doing you a favour when you contact them with a query, answer the phone. I don't know how she managed to turn this into the most bizarre Victor Meldrew argument whatsoever.
2: It should been on the phone to uh
3: HMRC, maybe, <laughs> unable to get an answer on a on a tricky query. <laughs> but Chris Ackroyd is a strong contender because if you listen to everything that uh, Marcelo Bielsa says, he was talking about it in uh, his midweek press conference about how um, the obsession with work is something that people in the uh ownership classes impose upon people who are responsible for the means of production feeding them this lie that they'll be rewarded for excessive hard work Um and here we have Chris Rackroyd using his sporting example just as a means to have a go at workers. Okay, I
1: mean that's a little bit out of left field from what I was expecting I was thinking we were going to probably nominate Tom Lawrence for diving to win a penalty for Derby and,
2: and getting away with it, which he will. We'll say there was it looks like there was contact, enough contact to knock a man over, whereas the Punch being punched in the stomach was enough contact to knock a man over but didn't so it's fine but this was a touch maybe he touched his shoelace at one point so it's fine as well
3: it is ridiculous it's made up
2: and he will get away with it I'm certain he will
3: yeah just as Scunthorpe's player Josh Morris who with impeccable timing it wasn't just a situation where a player was down injured and a team carried on Plymouth's goalkeeper was injured and did that thing of throwing the ball out for a throw-in so that the physio could come on to treat him. And this Josh Morris fella trapped the ball, shot straight back into the top corner. Goal. And they didn't give it back. That was no. carried on. And it
2: was a game that mattered as well.
3: Yeah, they both, both teams ended up getting relegated in the end and Plymouth did win uh, 3-2. So some sort of justice was done, but it was very telling that uh, Scunthorpe's chairman uh, basically banned any of their players or management or staff from speaking to the media after the game. And he went out and basically said that was completely bang out of order. And um, until I've dealt with it internally, nobody's saying anything externally. So if why, if we had to give a goal away, why didn't Scunthorpe in that moment have to give a goal away? It's clear because one of the things that could have happened after last week is that it becomes a thing throughout football. Every time a, a goal is scored where a player's down injured, a goal gets given back. That maybe, didn't last long. maybe, maybe the good outcome of this is that we name it after Bielsa. A Bielsa goal. Yeah, yeah. If you're allowed to score, it's a Bielsa goal. Give me a Bielsa. And if you're, uh, I'll give you a Bielsa in a minute. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Sorry, I distracted
1: from your well thought out and considered point.
2: Pick yourself a villain, then go on. I kind of favour Christopher Ackroyd just because I've not not heard the name in so many years. <laughs> If you are outside the Yorkshire TV region... Oh, uh, yeah, shit. Yeah, forget how these people are only famous in very <laughs> limited limited
1: areas. Or even outside the UK. Uh, you might want to Google Christa Aykroyd and all will become
3: clear there. The local TV presenter who uh, ended up on gardening leave for a long time because of it. I do want to just stop you there because Christa Aykroyd
1: has been fair to me. In one of my previous radio jobs, I did a paid cook-off against one of the other presenters at the station where I worked, and it was being hosted by uh, Krista Ackroyd mm-hmm. in a beautiful marquee in a tent in South Yorkshire, and she picked me to win. So, is this a dream? No, no, this is absolutely true. This is the this is the glamorous world of local radio. You get to go do cook-offs and stuff like that to promote stuff. Uh, so, what I might have to do here is is my, I might have to abstain because I feel like I've got interest
2: in this. It seems a shame to me that the local radio people get the local television people in to judge them because they know they're a cut
3: above them, but they've been like that. Oh. They're properly famous. I mean, that hurts a bit, but you're absolutely right. But then we've seen here how uh, fair-minded she really is, where she is uh, just having a go at those in the service industries who believe they're doing you a favour. Don't have a go at call centre workers when you've got... She was one of the highest paid employees at BBC Leeds. The rest of the column, by the way, that's not the only uh, example. She also has a go at like, people nicking parking spaces. It's basically... of it is her saying that she doesn't watch football. She doesn't like football. She doesn't understand it, but she's seen this thing about Marcelo Bielsa. And now she's going to put the boot in on people who are just trying to uh, earn an honest crust. So she's really riled me up as Krista this week. Just
1: had a text saying as well, she's on the FA's three-person disciplinary (laughs) panel. So yeah, well done, Krista Aykroyd. Let's pick ourselves an Andy Hughes hero from the candidates that we are about to put forth. Now, I want to put Click in there. Nice goal at the weekend. Won it last time, but he also needs to mention because he started every league
3: game this season. Rest him, for God's sake. <laughs> We've got playoffs to come. It's impressive as well, considering where he was at the start of the season, which was in the maybe squad, and where he wasn't Thomas Christensen, which was cast out completely. Still never got to the bottom of what the big beef was between those two they look like they should get along famously playing Dungeons and Dragons together but as we
1: discussed at length last time Click does he's got a glint in his eye do you think he played
3: a practical joke on TC and it it, went wrong in your words there is mischief in him I I think Thomas Christensen would like mischief though I think he'd like that around the place but yes I think Click has been a quiet sort of outsider for player of the year this year because even the achievement of playing all 46 games um, is worth something 10 goals from midfield I wonder who was our last player to score 10 from midfield? Pablo? Yeah, I suppose
1: so. <laughs> There should be a host of names from the under-23s victory then, so with Carlos Corboran for guiding them to it, uh,
3: Miazic for saving the penalties. We should have put Matis Bogus in as villain for missing one. Phil's, missing the first one as well.
1: A <laughs> little bit, bit harsh to give that to a teenage child who's
2: just missed a penalty in front of the know. biggest crowd of his life or whatever. Just watching him, I enjoyed watching him play at Edmondson as well today. He just looks like a massive bully. He'd have been terrifying if you were at school and you had to be and he was in your year, you'd be like, oh for fucking hell he's coming, he's coming, he's coming I was just going to dip into the toilet and hope he doesn't see me, um, but on a football pitch I think that's exactly what you need
3: Word for Barardi as well for the celebration going absolutely insane that you mentioned earlier Taking on. full part in being in the under 23s he didn't he's not treated that as just a. oh I have to go and play with the kids he's fully involved and he'll probably have his little medal on his mantelpiece and probably roar at it intermittently (laughs) be all he's doing this evening. Just every half an hour, Mrs. Baradi would just hear him yelling in the front room (laughs) and find him stripped to the waist and covered in grease paint again. (laughs) Winner.
1: It's all right, kids. He's just looking at his medal again. I want to mention Bielsa as well for his overall decency and for shutting down that Spygate question. That was nice. Nice moment.
3: He has had a strong week. We were a bit worried about him being a little bit depressed before the Aston Villa game but um, as we discussed at the time he was just embodying the sadness that we all felt and he's doing his best to come out swinging ever since.
2: Following on from the uh, the Grealish bashing we did last week uh, did you see Gary Monk's comment this week which was quite nice he was was thanking the um, <laughs> yeah. the Birmingham fans for everything they've done everything they've done for us off the pitch on the pitch <laughs> <laughs> and he had a little a little glint in his eye when he said it like he realised he was being he was being a bit naughty there was a until a, the fans have gone fucking mad about it which is quite funny good
3: there was a video of um, Gary Monk this week as well he phoned up somebody who'd renewed his season ticket and pretended to do a, a survey with him for uh, feedback on how he thought the the season had gone pretending to be like Derek from customer services and get into the last questions. like, uh, And what did you think of the manager's performance? And it's so, it's probably like the one that you, like we're saying matches click probably does a practical joke every two hours. It seemed like it was the wrong, the one time Gary Monk had done something funny in about five years. He was absolutely loving it until the point that you won't believe this, but you're talking to Gary Monk. <laughs> Gar-
1: get away. <laughs> Gary Monk and Pep Clotter I've realised they remind me of Napoleon Dynamite and Pedro
3: <laughs> Well we, you can't win Hero of the Week because he's a deceitful snake Yeah there is that
2: On this occasion though he was sort of having to go at Grealish and he's a more current villain So, uh, Yeah it's just scum having a go But it's It's all just, it? just Midlands beef Yeah exactly
1: we don't need to get involved <laughs> Stan Collymore will have you down canic chase uh, Let's pick a
3: winner then Under 23s should we go for under 23s generic catch-all umbrella? All of them. They have kind of saved the weekend, and yes, especially in in spite of the uh, the whole issues that people had actually attending the game.
2: It was Krista Ackroyd in charge of the um, ticket arrangements? Ticket arrangements yeah. for it, I heard. So
3: yes, they overcame that hurdle. She, she was trying to impose a, a no DSS rule at the <laughs> at the gate for but- free. more handouts when they can't even raise a smile at their uppers and betters. You're getting this for free. What did you expect? To be able to actually get in the ground? Congratulations then to the under-23s. Well done. Three weeks to go in the season.
1: In three weeks' time, we will know definitively whether we are in the Premier League or not. And we're going to be in the
3: Premier League, aren't we? Three games from glory, again. Those knobheads we saw in Ipswich will be heroes at Wembley. That's what we've got to look forward to.
1: We should uh, put forward a confession now. You specifically, Michael, you've done a bit of a naughty,
2: haven't you? In what way? You know what you've done. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've booked a place in <laughs> London. Let's just, yeah, yeah, this is Mr.
1: Pessimism. The The last one on board the promotion boat, but train.
2: I'm also a planner of these things and it's a fully cancellable room. I wouldn't have booked a non-refundable room, but it's, you know, it's the right thing to do in the circumstances. I fully expect us to go down, and I think we actually we, there's a chance we will get to the final, but we'll lose.
1: Great to hear your positivity really starting.
2: To <laughs> and I want to be there for it, and I want to be stuck in London for a <laughs> night, being miserable fucker <laughs> in a little hovel of an apartment that I've booked. <laughs> hey, listen, we will be
1: hosting that promotion party. Uh, everybody's invited. If we go up, we will wreck that flat on Edgware Road. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm still not optimistic. You're not gonna. You're not gonna try and get me into the optimistic camp by
3: on the back of this booking. You're not even optimistic about beating Derby? Yeah. We've got a 6-1 aggregate lead over them. I don't know, I don't think we take that into these games, which is a bit of a shame.
2: That should be the way the playoffs work, actually. If you happen to be up against someone else, you can be like,
3: well, it's only fair that this is taken into account. They do talk about the altering of the advantages of like the team that finishes third has to play the team that finishes it. So weighting it in that way, handicapping it, whether the aggregate score from the, the league games, I wonder if you've got time to push that particular ruling through uh, (laughs) before the
1: weekend. Well, isn't that not kind of how they do it in like rugby league and I don't watch the sport, so I don't really know but like the highest team gets through to the final automatically Mm -hmm. then the lower ones sort of play off against each other for the right to play in that final. That's surely how it should be for this season only.
2: (laughs) Yes, or or even for this season only just promote the team in third because it's the fairest way. The league's there for a reason. Everyone agrees the league is the fairest system
3: don't they? Mm. If we went back to the something closer to the system in 1987 when the playoffs began when it was the top of the uh, second division had to play off against the bottom of the first division. We could just have a one-off match against Cardiff to see who gets to stay up. That would be interesting. And I would probably back us to win that more than I would against Aston Villa (laughs) under, under present circumstances. Um, Again, it may be a little bit late to push that through. And also I'm not sure I'd want to risk us taking on Neil Warnock at Wembley that might be introducing a, an element that I don't he's, want to... He's
2: really. already gone mad enough this week without without the prospect of beating us at Wembley. So how do you
1: feel about facing Derby then? Come on, how do we feel about this?
2: Well, yeah, it should be fine. Like you said, we've beaten them 6-1. I looked at some of the stats. We've had 32 shots to their 19. We've had 59% possession, 13 corners to their 5. We've basically battered them twice. But since then we've completely gone to shit.
1: But we're better in bigger games against bigger teams by and large, except losing to Sheffield United, which we dominated for long spells. And Norwich. And capitulating against Norwich. And but, that Wigan game. But then no, a big game. But no, big game, big teams. The team's <laughs> not at the bottom. We know we struggle against them. We have to play better teams this time, which is fine. Derby are more likely to come and play against us and not be difficult to break down in that way that maybe Wigan were. And
2: Well, I've listened to the media and um, Frank Lampard's Derby County are a, an amazing team. They're probably the finest team in the division who've been somehow wrongly placed in sixth because he's worked miracles there by only spending £40 million on a wage budget. And I was looking as well at the, the kind of great story that oh, Frank Lampard's done a great job there this year. Just to go back five seasons, last year, he's, he's finished sixth, bear in mind, last season. Any any guesses where they finished? Sixth. Sixth, correct. Yeah. Season before, ninth, then fifth, eighth, third. So basically he the average of those is six. if you're wondering. Um, so he's he's got Derby to exactly where Derby always are.
3: And the whole reason that they're any good this season is because they've got that Wilson from Liverpool. they built everything around him. He's got 15 goals this season and that's it. That is them. Their next best player is uh, Wagorn, Waggy of uh, McCarthy I, um, fame with nine. I so trust- it's Wilson. It's Wilson's free kicks has basically got them anyway. So as long as, we don't, as, long as Kiko it doesn't concede any free kicks around our box, we'll be fine. Sorry,
1: Moscow. I was just going to say, I, I, I'm fine with Bielsa. I think he's got this. I think, I think he knows, so too. yeah, I think he's got, he's absolutely got this. And we've got two games, I think, over two
3: games. We should hopefully do these, obviously, think, you never know, but... I think Lampard knows it as well, because he's already trying to push Derby as the underdogs in this one with those exact words. The achievement is great to be in, the, in this bracket with Leeds and Aston Villa. Um, He doesn't seem to think much of West Brom, but we are massive underdogs. Let's just enjoy that tag and see what we can do. I know who Leeds are. I've been asked it a million times and all the Spygate history is history. These are two massive games against a team that looked like they were going to run away with it this year. The two games against Leeds, we didn't turn up. We've now got two more opportunities. They caught us cold at Pride Park. They were too quick, too fast for us. We've got to learn those lessons. It's all like, yeah, plucky little Derby's going to have to, we're the underdogs in this. We've just got to do our best against this this team and uh, see what we can do. Yeah, it's all bollocks. It's just immediately launching into the, the mind games stuff because he's all he's got is a player from Liverpool who can take free kicks and fucking Richard Keogh looking weird at the back. (laughs) I'm feeling quite philosophical, you know,
1: about this whole playoffs thing now because Bielsa chilled us out a little bit looking like he's going to stay. My conclusion from all this is that the only thing we have to fear from this is our own fear. It's fear itself because we're worried about losing. We're worried about how it's going to feel to lose. And do you know why we feel like that? Because we always do. Not only that, but historically, but I think it's because everybody knows we're capable of winning this. But do you know what I mean? Like we're almost
3: fearful of fucking it up rather than actually saying we're good enough to do this. And we have looked very fearful in the last few games. And I think that has been a factor. And um, Wembley, when we get there, past Derby, we're not going to cruise. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be horrendous. That game is going to finish something like 6-5 or something like that. And it's going to be... Equalizers all over the shop, with players sent off, and everything is going to happen in that game. It's going to be exquisitely painful, and um, probably end up actually be six all. It will go to penalties. Every minute of it will be just torture. So we should probably just enjoy smacking Frank Lampard about one last time, and um, and then it's just down to Wembley, and it's one game.
2: Why am I the only one that's really worried that we might lose? Look at uh, just all all the recent form. Because we'll be back next season.
3: Yeah,
1: That's the joy of football.
3: We lose, we come back next year. That's what
1: I'm saying is that if we don't go up, it's not the end of the world. I know we need to go up financially. I know that's an imperative, but I think, personally speaking, retaining Bielsa is more important. So as long as we've got him for next season and he can continue to do his good work, it's it's going to hurt if we lose in the final. It's going to hurt if we lose in
3: the semi-final. But I think keeping him is more important. I do agree. I do actually agree on that. We lost the playoffs in 1987. And by 1992, we were the league champions.
2: We lost the playoffs in 2006, and by 2008, we were in in league. Within one. four
3: years, we'd won League One. We were league. Oh wow. well, no, we were uh, second at of League One. But Bounce back the- ability. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe the 1987 ones, we just need to concentrate That's a better on that example. example,
2: yeah. So you're saying we'll be league champions within, uh, within the next few years, more or less? No. Yeah. If, if we keep you I was thinking that watching some of the under-23s today as well. You know, there are good players in there, and if we stay down, there is more chance... Strangely of them coming into the team next year is if we go up, we will probably spend some money.
3: So for the good of Jamie Shackleton's career, we need to uh, not even get to Wembley.
2: Yeah, ideally we'll stay down and then win the league with like 110 points next year with Shackleton and Gotts and Edmondson and all that lot. So how do you feel this first leg's
1: going to go then? Because we will be back to podcast again uh, after the first leg, before the second one.
3: I think we'll lose. (laughs) Heavily or narrowly? Narrowly. Moscow. I think it'll be a narrow win just so that we get that atmosphere in the second leg, Island Road, which Derby won't be able to cope with. I think we will narrowly win as well.
1: So, are you happy with that, Michael? Narrow win. Will you take that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, as I just mentioned there, we will be back between the two legs of the playoff semi final to discuss that second leg. We'll find out how we get on. The excitement of Saturday. Looking forward to it? No, it's terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> And the remaining copies of issue 10. The last one of the season will be on sale against Derby County at home. Last couple of hundred copies there. For the playoff semi final home leg, you can get links to that and the merchandise on the website. Please do check out the extra ball as well. The stable mate to this podcast works in all your big podcast players, helps to support what we do. And we want to do loads more podcasting. And you can find all of it at squareball.net. Wembley. Wembley. No? Hmm. Let's we'll
2: see.
0: The Square Ball Podcast.